Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. We have actually been away for a little bit of a brief hiatus over the summer, so it is wonderful to be back in your ears. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 377. This is Elizabeth Frederick, as always, and I have really enjoyed getting to know today's guest. I know you are going to really enjoy hearing from him as well. He's the VP of Sales at Leadium, where he helps B2B SaaS companies generate qualified leads and appointments. Who among us doesn't wish that we had better leads and appointments? He has founded and successfully sold three companies, so he knows what he's doing here, and he's now an investor and advisor to several other startups. He also hosts the Sales Transformation Podcast. Recommend you check that out. It's amazing. And he is based in San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Colin Mitchell. Awesome. Elizabeth, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Really excited to to get into this conversation and see how we can add some value for your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Before we really jump into that, I'm just so glad that you could join me and I just shared high-level bio information, but I'd love it if you could actually introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, I'll give you the quick version so we can we can get to the good stuff. I grew up, you know, pretty much dirt poor, raised by a single mom. I didn't go to college. You know, I don't have the typical sales story of of most people where it's like, hey, I went to go do this thing or didn't work out or went to school for this and realized I didn't love it that much. So I got a sales job. Um, you know, sales tends to, I'm sure you've heard that story plenty of times where sales is typically people's plan B or maybe even plan C in some cases. Uh, so for me, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunities and sales was really my, my only uh, opportunity that I had. And so when I got my first sales job, uh, I just made the most of it. I was and you know, early on, that was just like hard work. First one in the office, last one to leave, coming in on weekends to get ready for the week. And that took me so far. But then from there, I worked my way up to the top of that company, got my first VP of sales position where I learned a lot more skills, made a lot of mistakes also. <laughs> and then from there, uh, founded the first company with my wife and we scaled that from zero to five million in 26 months. Uh, and then from there, started a few more businesses as well, which I have exited. And then now I'm the VP of sales at Lidium, also a managing partner. And so I've known Kevin and Sergey, the, the founders of Lidium, for quite some time because they actually helped me scale two of those businesses that I exited. And so when I wrapped up the last thing that I was doing, it was kind of like, did I go start something again from scratch um, or jo- join a team that I know is doing good work? And that's what I ended up doing. That is a great story. And I have to say, I love that sales is uh, is a space where you do see some people like you who've been able to be successful without that traditional college background, without necessarily having to have, you know, personal or family connections. And certainly those can both help. But it is amazing to see. I grew up in a very poor area of the Midwest and um, in Michigan, right as you know, the auto industry was really slowing down at the time, factory jobs were disappearing. And the possible career that my parents' generation or even you know, in between my parents and my generation could see where you'd get a job in a factory, you could support a family on that one salary. And you wouldn't really have to worry about anything after that. That was just gone. And 
you could see the impact that it had on so many people. And when I look at some of the people that I grew up with who didn't want to take the college route or it just wasn't a fit for them, quite a few have actually landed in sales. And like you said, for some people, it is a second or a third or a, oops, somehow I fell into it, sort of a choice. But you can get to a level of being a vice president, of running an organization, running a team with hard work in sales, with dedication to understand what it is that you're selling, who it is that you're selling to. And that's a really exciting opportunity for people to have and um, such a great story. Yeah. I mean, I think sales is one of those careers where you find people from, from many different walks of life. And a lot of times, um, you know, they could have more of a traditional path, like, you know, you, you mentioned or, or, or not so much. And sometimes the, the people sort of the, the diamonds in the rough with, you know, the, the non-traditional or kind of unique stories or, you know, some may even call it baggage. Uh, sometimes those tend to be, you know, your, your rock star sellers that go on to do, you know, very big things. Absolutely. Well, I want to I want to pivot to the meat of the conversation because you mentioned in your intro you, you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I don't know many people who were promoted into a leadership role who didn't learn some lessons the hard way um, and through mistakes that were made. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to touch that hot stove once or twice. But I would imagine that you know you've you've founded and sold some companies. You've you've led a bunch of different sales teams, and I have seen that sales and sales leadership has really changed. I would imagine as you went back into working for somebody else and running a sales team, you've probably seen some changes as well. So I'd love to hear kind of what are some of the discoveries you've made about sales leadership, whether those are recent ones that have maybe changed or whether there are some foundational truths that you discovered early on. And kind of where do you see you need to be focusing in your current role? I know that's a really big question, but I want that to kind of drive the rest of our conversation. Yeah, uh, such a good question. And, you know, unfortunately, I still put my hand on the hot stove sometimes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think that it's very common in sales for your typical top performer to be promoted to sales leader. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's, I'm not here to debate, like, is that the right or wrong path? You know, because it's highly dependent on the person, but that's where, you know, that's what happened with me. And that's where a lot of mistakes end up being made. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because a lot of times those sellers aren't necessarily the right people to be leaders. Uh, I've actually found that more of your B players make great leaders, uh, not your A players. Keep your A players being A players as you know individual contributors. Um, now, there's no sort of hard line in the sand, right? Because we're dealing with human beings that are you know, highly dynamic people and everybody is different. So, But I would say the majority of time, that's where a lot of mistakes happen. And I know for me personally, um, you know, I was that typical high-performing seller that thought everybody should sell like me and mm-hmm. the things that me would motivate them and the way I learn things is how they should learn things and you can see the writing on the wall there where lots of mistakes were made and the unfortunate thing is when you're now responsible for other people right these are other people's 
jobs and careers and families, right? You're making these mistakes at the expense of your team, which is not great. And so if you don't learn these things quickly, you know, there can be some some damage that uh, is created. But the thing that I think is missing in a lot of sales organizations and for a lot of first-time sales leaders is the proper support and resources that are needed to be great leaders. Because great sellers does not translate to being a great leader. Yeah, there's there's so much there. And I agree. I, I'm not going to say you should or you shouldn't promote you know, one of your top salespeople into leadership. But as you said, I'm actually going to go with a, a sports analogy because uh, this is this is often seen um, when you have a top, top, top performer in sports that wants to move into coaching. A lot of times you'll find that they're actually less effective. And when you look at some of the coaches that are the most famous, the most kind of have have long term respect, they played, but they weren't the top performers on the team because the top performers, a lot of times are doing things pretty intuitively and they don't even necessarily see the game, you know, in a sports situation, the same way that other people see it. And so it can be harder to explain how people need to do things because they don't know how they're just like, just do it. It just works. And you know, that's not the case for those B players who, who've really had to break it down and, and figure things out. And I think that can, that can often be the case when it comes to sales you know, you have some people who are top performers and they have a process. I, I don't think there's anybody who's successful that doesn't have a process, but they might not recognize that it's a process and they might be basing it on their personality, on connections, on relationships that they have, on an energy level they have that is like superhuman. <laughs> and then if, if they expect their entire team to sell that same way, they're going to be sorely disappointed and the team is going to be disappointed. But somebody who has just kind of head down, been a hard worker, follows a process because they know it works, that can that can be a, a little bit more natural of a flow into leadership. So I think that's, that's a really acute observation. Yeah. And I think that the interesting thing there that got me thinking um, when you, when you were chatting there is that sometimes, you know, you mentioned that, you know, if they're successful, they have a process. But, you know, sometimes successful sellers, they don't even know why they're successful if you ask yes. them. Honestly. And so think about that for a second. You know, I'm a top performer. I'm top of the leaderboard. I have success, but I don't even know why I'm successful in comparison to maybe people that are not. How am I supposed to train people? to be successful or lead people to be successful, which let's be clear are two very different things. And so I think that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of sometimes you're, you know, really high performing people. They're not the most organized people. Mm -hmm. They're not very process oriented people. They're not the type of people that are going to go create a 52 page playbook. They're just not those people. And therefore they may not be the right person to promote to leadership. Yeah. And that's, I do think that's one of the challenges within, you know, leading a sales organization is figuring out what's a way to make sure people understand, hey, I'm not going to promote you into a management position, but that doesn't mean that I don't recognize the value that you provide. And that is where also 
the idea of the difference between leadership and management can be really key. I've seen organizations where they're able to have a very effective sales management process and they're able to effectively nurture leadership within key contributors on the team who do not have people management responsibilities because that's not their skill set and not their best allocation of time, but they are recognized and appreciated and given those those kind of, you know, ways to be a leader that can be helpful. And that can be done in a lot of different ways from, you know, mentoring new hires to sharing success stories to, you know, helping sometimes put together um, a group of prospects or clients for an event and being the one to, you know, step up in front of a group and introduce them, whatever that might be, you know, allowing people that that feeling that, you know, I'm not just in the same bucket as everybody else. I, I'm being recognized, but I don't necessarily have to have that title or that, um, you know, those lines on the org chart that make me responsible for performance evaluations. And, you know, having difficult coaching conversations and all of the other things that you have to do when you're in that sales management role. Yeah, I think that's such a a great point for people to consider because if you really think about it, um, the reason that a lot of top performers even personally think that, well, the next right move is to go into sales leadership is because what they really want isn't necessarily the responsibility of people always. They just think mm-hmm. it's what what it really is, is they just want a new challenge. Absolutely. Right? Because these are typically people that thrive in, you know, challenge. And it's something that they, you know, want to constantly have in, in their professional career is to be challenged. And so that's why a lot of times if the job gets too easy, they leave right? Or they think sales leadership is the right answer. And so there is different ways to accommodate that. Uh, Some of them you described, a a couple of another uh, examples might be, Mm -hmm. you know, them bringing a new, being responsible for bringing a new product uh, into the market, or maybe it could be, you know, helping tap into a new market that they have not, or new territory rather. Um, so there's other ways to make sure that your top performing people are, you know, staying happy, are continuously being challenged in their role where it doesn't always mean, you know, because a lot of times I think uh, maybe from the top executive leadership, they think, hey, we've really got to promote this person or we risk losing them. And that's not always the right answer. And there's a lot that can go wrong uh, with that type of thinking. Absolutely. I love those ideas. And I think just that that mindset of, hey, what's a challenge I could give them that they could step up into? And also asking is it can be incredibly helpful, you know, to, to just say, you know, how are you doing? Do you feel like you've got challenges? Do you feel like we're stretching and growing you? Um, if you wanted to take on something else, um, if you wanted to step up and do something more, something different, what would you be excited about? If they're your top performer, they probably have some ideas. They might say, you know, prospects would love it if we could add this feature to our offering, if we could, um, you know, develop this new product. And um, you don't want to take them too far away from (laughs) the selling piece. But when I see the sales team, especially top performers, being asked to be on, you know, a product development team where they're going to be bringing the voice of the customer to the product organization. It can be an incredibly 
valuable perspective. And it is also just that sign of, hey, we're listening to you. We trust you. We're, we're letting you step up here. And then obviously, if they've been involved in helping with the development of a product, that's going to make it a lot easier if they're the one who's going to take the lead on, on bringing it to market, starting to sell. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like such a simple answer, right? Ask them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for whatever reason, it's commonly missed of yeah. <laughs> taking that path. Yeah. It's it's so funny how managers, and again, whether it doesn't matter what your path to, to management went, um, people in a, in a management position feel like we have to have the answers and we have to be 10 steps ahead. And certainly, you know, bringing up things and and creating opportunities for people that they didn't even know existed. That's amazing. That's wonderful. But also just asking people what they want and seeing if you can give it to them can be incredibly helpful. And at the very least, you know, we all love to feel listened to. And it's it's amazing what you can get. Um, you know, like you said, the executives might be going off in their retreat and they're like, oh man, Colin, he's been just super overperforming. We've got to, we've got to do something for him. We have to promote him. It's like, well, did you ask Colin what he wants? Maybe he wants more vacation time. I mean, it could be, it could be all kinds of different things that you could provide um, as opposed to, to that title. Yes. I know um, this has kind of come up as a, as a part of this conversation, but it's a, it's a real focus of yours is just the idea of as a leader empowering your team. And we've been talking about kind of some ways to empower and to, to provide leadership opportunities within your top performers. But I want to take a step back and just overall in general, I know this is something that that everybody's thinking about as leaders. You know, how do we how do we really empower our people? What does empowering our people even mean? And I'd love to hear kind of whether it's stories or examples or or your your kind of thoughts behind how leaders can best empower their teams. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's something that often gets missed because we're so focused or maybe distracted on revenue goals and, and all mm-hmm. the other, you know, pressures um, that come with, you know, being in a sales leadership role or, you know, on the executive team. Um, but essentially your people are the most important thing, right? And so, and this is this is something that, often, that a lot of top performing reps that, you know, turned leaders struggle with is, um, you know, knowing how to empower their team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of times, especially if you're a sales leader that is, you know, part player, part coach, mm-hmm. then you can be really conflicted uh, yes. in certain situations on when do I get in there and just do it versus, you know, when do I empower my team, to, you know, to get the job done. And so, you know, investing in your people, you know, whether that's in training and development um, or just making time for them, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that they're you know recognized and know that they're important and that their feedback matters and that you care about them as people and not just as sellers are some of the key things that are you know key ingredients that are really important to to empowering and developing your team. Absolutely. Um, one way that I often see leaders disempower their teams without even recognizing that they're doing it is, and I see this, I would say more often in a player coach role where, where somebody's still involved in, in individual contribution, but, but I see it sometimes with people who don't even have that, um, is when leaders step in and take over. And sometimes that's done because maybe it seems like they want the glory. And sometimes it's done. And I think this is, this is more insidious because it's from good intentions 
leaders will take over to prevent people from failing. I had a client years and years ago, and they were looking at their stats and they realized that when managers were on a sales call, they had a certain close rate. And when managers weren't on a sales call, the close rate was significantly lower. (laughs) And we did a really simple exercise, just role practicing and had people run a meeting and realized that the sales team really didn't know how to run a meeting without a sales manager there. Because when the sales managers were there, they took over. And the salespeople were involved. They were asking some questions. They were part of the meeting, but they weren't running the meeting. And then when left to their own devices, they really didn't know what to do, what to say, what questions to ask, what order, you know, what, what was the agenda for the meeting. And it was it was kind of mind-boggling for the leaders to realize that they had disempowered their teams in that way. And so it's amazing how, you know, when it comes to empowering your team, that line between helping and mentoring and modeling the behavior that you're looking for versus taking over um, can be really difficult. And to what you were saying momentarily, you know, the idea of we're being held accountable to numbers. If I let you lose this deal, we're losing revenue for the organization. So I have to step in and step over you <laughs> to, you know, ask the question you didn't ask or to respond, you know, you you gave the wrong answer to a question. And leaders don't always know how to best kind of take over and clean that up without disempowering and and really stepping on their team member. Is that something that you've that you've seen? Is that something that you've done? Do you have any ways that leaders can be more effective at kind of helping their teams without taking over for them. Yeah, and I, I think that this this can happen without even realizing it, right? Mm-hmm. With good intentions. Absolutely. As, as, as you mentioned it. And you know, the answer here is, yeah, I've I've made these mistakes uh probably more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> but what you have to understand as as a leader is actually letting your team lose those deals is the most valuable lesson, right? Mm -hmm. So stepping in and helping them win the deal, that's a short-term gain, right? But letting them actually lose the deal and learn from that experience and learn why they lost that deal, that is much more valuable than them winning that one single deal. And I know that's not a popular answer and people are gonna be like, what? You wanna let your team lose deals? Absolutely. Because some of those painful learning lessons are the most valuable ones, right? So that could be, and, and it could be, a, it could be a big loss. It could be a large deal, depending on you know what the size of your deals are. But the problem is, is if you jump in and you do the job for them, or you you know help them, you know not make mistakes by doing it for them. Uh, you're not really teaching them anything. And then exactly in you know some of those examples that you described is then you have a team that's not self-sufficient and doesn't know how to get the job done. And long-term, that is a much bigger problem than losing one single deal. Absolutely. I thought of it as you were talking, it's like helicopter management. <laughs> you know, we all know <laughs> the, the dangers of helicopter parenting. Um, yeah. And yeah, like you said, it's coming from good intentions. I do think that a challenge is when you're in an organization that's coming from a mindset of scarcity, from a mindset of fear, you can't lose any opportunity. And that is an environment that is going to be inherently disempowering 
because managers and other leaders, you know, key executives might come in and try to rescue deals. They're, they're going to be coming up with all these like crazy ideas of things that you should try. And something that's important for leaders to understand and articulate is, you know, are we in a place of scarcity as an organization where we do just need to put our heads down and get through this time? And when will we be through this time so that we can take a step back and be a more functional and more empowering organization where, you know, every single opportunity in the pipeline isn't life or death for the success of, of our organization, our ability to meet payroll. And I think a lot of organizations seem to be running in that mindset when that's not really the state of their business. And, and it's, you know, I'm not saying again, and you're not saying at all, just, you know, go out there and, and let your team lose every deal that they have. But I think most of us would say some of the best lessons we've learned are from deals we've lost. And, oh, yeah. and if, if they're never experiencing that, they're missing out on so many things that they could be learning. And what I think a lot of leaders think is, well, when they see me rescue it, they're going to just through osmosis learn um, and they'll do it this way next time. It, that just doesn't happen, unfortunately. No, no. And, you know, I've had some painful, painful learning lessons and they're the most valuable ones, right? I mean, I'm talking large, you know, million dollar deals where I've made some crucial mistakes uh, and lost those deals. And you know what? I never made those mistakes again. And by jumping in there and doing it for your team, you're robbing them of those crucial learning, teachable moments that are going to make them, you know, resilient uh, sellers that are going to, you know, learn through experience. Because, you know, a lot of sellers specifically are very stubborn people. And mm -hmm. no matter how many times you tell them something, they're not going to really learn until they experience it. And that means losing some deals and making some crucial mistakes. And ultimately, as a leader, you should want them to make as many of those mistakes as possible as early on uh, as they can so that they can, you know, learn from them. And then you can review those game tapes. And then even then, right, when you're reviewing, you know, maybe that sales call, you know, and in, in, in going through it with them, you can pause and not say, hey, you should have done this here, or you could have done that here, or why didn't you ask that? That doesn't work. Trust me, I've tried it before. Um, you know, what works is stop and pause and like, hey, what do you think you could have, you know, done here differently? Or, you know, is there anything you feel that you might have missed here, right? So helping them find their own answers is the best way to lead your team to long-term success. Absolutely. It's amazing that difference between coming into a coaching conversation with, here are three things I need you to learn, <laughs> compared to, hey, let's talk about what happened. And I'd love to hear from you. What do you think you did right? You know, what do you want to make sure you do again in future? And where do you think you have room for improvement? And what's amazing is if, if somebody has a decent amount of self-awareness, they will likely have caught most everything you would have caught in terms of areas for improvement. Sometimes you have somebody who has a little bit of a blind spot and you might need to, you know, reveal it to them. <laughs> but in general, people are going to identify most of the things that you would that you would be the one to identify. And giving them the opportunity to state it creates that sense of ownership where they feel like I'm naming this. I'm identifying this as an area for for improvement and I'm 
soliciting coaching as opposed to coaching as being shoved down my throat, which um, none of us love that, you know, unsolicited coaching. <laughs> Somebody comes in, that's some coaching for you. Oh, great. Thank you. Desperately wanted that today. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is, is instead of trying to spoon feed them the answers um, or the things that they need to work on, is sometimes you might be pleasantly surprised that they actually find more things or additional things or uncover things or realize or have an awareness of something that you as the sales leader didn't even pick up on or didn't even catch. Um, And so that's where a lot of the gold is. Yeah. And a lot of times people are even harder on themselves than you would be on them, especially people who have that potential for you know, top performance. Uh, a lot of times they're very ambitious, very self-critical. And so you can even provide some, some, some comfort there. You know, they'll be like, oh, I did terrible at this. And you're like, actually, that, that wasn't maybe as bad as you thought it was. Um, certainly, you know, I see what you're talking about. Maybe there's some area for improvement, but I think that went pretty well. But that other thing that you mentioned, yeah, I did see that as well. And let's focus on that. And so sometimes you end up actually narrowing down um, where, where they think things went wrong, especially if you let if you let the situation go as badly as it, as it could have gone and, and maybe they lost an opportunity, um, they might identify, you know, 15 things that they think that they did wrong and only seven of those, only three of those really matter. And you're able to kind of help them hone in on the most important and most impactful. And that's where you're letting them take the lead, but you're kind of guiding them down a path as a leader that you're able to help them focus on improvement. Yeah. And really the main thing you're looking for is that are they learning from their mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. Are they learning from these mistakes? Are they evolving, right? Or, you know, two, three, six months down the road, are they still constantly making the same mistakes over and over again? But then, you know, then you have a different problem. Um, But ultimately, you know, if you're not giving them the opportunity to make mistakes, then they're never going to be able to, you know, get better. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a huge difference between coaching somebody who just seems to do the same, you know, make the same mistakes over and over again versus somebody who makes creative and interesting and new mistakes that you're able to to help with. And this is also a great observation in terms of if you're not letting these difficult situations come up and you're not letting the mistakes happen, you aren't able to determine if somebody is someone who's going to learn from mistakes and change their behavior and change their approach. And so you've got a team of of sellers, none of whom are making mistakes, some of whom would would learn from them and grow and improve, and some of them wouldn't. And you really don't want those people in your organization. Uh, And so, you know, to to weed out those people who wouldn't necessarily learn um, is incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And you know, and the thing that's important here too is is start to early on to identify the different learning styles of the people on your team because there is no one size fits all coaching plan. Uh, so you know, understanding you know how people take feedback or you know how self aware they are or you know how they're going to learn from those mistakes can vary from you know person to person on your team. And so as a leader. You know, identifying that early on as you're ramping up new reps and, you know, making sure that you have some sort of system in place for knowing that so that you're not then treating every single person with like a one size fits all coaching program. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny how 
you know, it sounds so natural when we're talking about it and it sounds so intuitive. And then you get into the situation and it's stressful and it's difficult and it's it's harder than it seems. So, you know, the fact that you're able to distill this, you know, I can really tell you, you've learned these examples the hard way yourself and have been able to take these lessons and drive them to the success that you're experiencing. Um, one thing that I, that I wanted to touch on, I know we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but I, it's something that came up when we were chatting previously, is the, the role that sales leaders are having right now in figuring out what are the tools, what are the systems that my team should use that, that are going to be valuable and trying to kind of weed out what's valuable from all the noise and all of the the trends and the 10,000 different applications that seem to be launched every single day. Um, what are some, some best practices, some lessons that you've learned when it comes to kind of figuring out if a tool is worth spending some time on? Yeah, it's a big problem that a lot of sales teams have today is, you know, technology or tool overwhelm, you know, and, and, and the problem is that, well, it's a core it's a core problem that a lot of organizations have where they think that the tool or the technology is going to fix their sales problem, right? We can close more if we do this. We can be more productive if we do this. We can be faster. We can reach more people. We can send more messages if we have this tool. And the problem is, is if you have some core fundamental things broken with the foundation of your sales process uh, or sales motion in general, tools are not going to fix that. So that's number one is like, are you making sure that you've like got a well-defined, you know, ICP, you know, have you even reached, you know, product uh, market fit? Um, have you even, you know, honed in on your product messaging fit? And are you in that growth mode and ready to scale? And if all of, if you can answer yes to all of those things, then now it may be time to start to invest in some technology because technology isn't going to solve your problems. You need to solve all of those problems first. And I'm a big component of technology. I'm not saying you need to, you know, not use technology, but it's very easy to get distracted with the new fancy tool and have shiny object syndrome. I have been guilty of this plenty of times and I have to put myself in check even still today um, because there's something new coming out every week. And, you know, some of these tools are very gimmicky and make big promises and have great marketing and maybe even good salespeople that'll get you to, you know, uh, start to implement this. But one thing that you really have to be aware of and I've seen this time and time again with, with sales teams, especially selling technology into teams who have, you know, have had uh, tool overwhelm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or exhausted, you know, and if you're constantly having your team try new tools and test new things, that is a huge distraction for them. Absolutely. So you really got to find a balance of when and where do we invest in technology? What tools are actually worth investing in getting my my team to um, you know take time out of what it is that they should be doing to to try and implement you know onboard and adopt a new tool so those are some things to consider and then also you know finding a balance between making sure that you're not always having the same people constantly test mm. and try new tools because it happens a lot on teams where there's people that maybe are little more tech savvy or tend to adopt things a little bit faster. So they always get thrown into that bucket of, of people trying new tools for the sales team. 
Uh, or a lot of times you see, oh, let's just have the SDRs try this new technology. And they kind of become like the guinea pigs of trying and testing everything before it gets rolled out to the whole org. So try to find a balance of making sure that you're not overwhelming your team in general. Um, and then second part to that is making sure that you're not constantly overwhelming the same people over and over and over again, because it can be really hard for them to be successful in the role, especially when they have all of those distractions. Absolutely. I've got, I've got a client right now that um, was recently acquired. And so they're, they're switching technology systems to the new one. And they did beta testing for a couple of key systems with, like you said, those, those more techie people. The, the more, you know, early adopters. And what actually happened is the people who are not in that bucket, <laughs> then when the, the system was actually rolled out, they had even longer of a learning curve. And it was more difficult because the system was optimized for the early adopters and the techie people and not for, you know, lowest common denominator. And that doesn't happen every time. But also if you're constantly leaning on the same people, especially the people who, who might find tech a little more intuitive, you might not even be getting the best perspectives. You know, or if you're just leaning on the SDRs, you've got um, external reps. The SDRs might be like, oh yeah, this is great. And the external reps are like, it's, it doesn't work on mobile. <laughs> and you, you could have massive fails just because you've got the wrong constituency too. So um, great, great lesson. Very important. A question I like to ask all of our guests, and I wanted to ask it after this question because it what are the trends that you are keeping an eye on right now, whether it's technology platform or approach or just something else that you're that you're kind of keeping an ear out to see if it's going to be legit for the future? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things that are really important right now as far as, you know, this topic is keeping your eye on. Uh, or if you're going to invest in tech, you know, where should you invest, right? Um, I think AI is obviously a hot topic, right? But lots of distractions there, lots of gimmicky tools that don't really move the needle and are just royal waste of time and money. So be very cautious and careful about, you know, trying the latest and greatest new AI tool. Uh, definitely something, you know, a lot of people are you know, talking about, is AI going to steal my job? And, you know, AI is not going to steal your job, but sellers that know how to leverage and use AI, they will steal your job. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the tech enabled, the AI powered, you know, sales rep uh, is the way of the future for sure. And then I think where a lot of investments are going these days and where a lot of resources and, and money is best spent if you're going to invest in tech is really on the delivery and CS side because, uh, you know, it's harder to sell deals right now, right? It's tough. Times are tough, harder to get budget, you know, all of those things are going on. So most people have adopted sort of a land to expand approach it means, hey, let's get our foot in the door at whatever level that we can. And then we got to make sure that we deliver good results, that we show good ROI, that they have a good experience and, you know, uh, implementation, onboarding and adoption goes over without a hitch. And so that's where investing in like CS resources, tech and tools uh, is how, you know, businesses are going to be winning today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can definitely confirm um, both sides of that from what you said about, you know, the, the tougher business climate, the um, the hesitancy that prospects are having. We're, we're hearing that from so many organizations that we talk to, but that focus on the client experience and providing um, ease and comfort is so incredibly important. All right. I always like to keep an eye out myself. So what are some resources that you could recommend to our listeners? It could be books, it could be podcasts, blog posts, or blogs in general, websites, um, whatever you would recommend that they take advantage of. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a big podcast person and audiobook person, so I'll, I'll give a couple couple of recommendations. Um, I mean, number one, obviously, as you know, Elizabeth, it takes a lot of work to put on a good quality show like this here. So the first thing people should do is just make sure that they have subscribed to this show, that they have written a review, that they have you know given in a rating and shared the show with their friends, because that's the best way they can you know show their gratitude to you um, for for you providing you know consistent value for them. Uh, and if they're looking for some additional recommendations outside of that, uh, one of my favorite podcasts right now is, is the win rate podcast by Andy Paul, um, talking about win rates and sales effectiveness. It's a personal favorite of mine. It's one of those ones I'm always waiting for the next episode to come out. Uh, and then if you're just a you know real podcast junkie, kind of like myself, uh, we drop daily sales content on sales transformation. They're short 10, 15 minute episodes every single day. And then as far as book book recommendations. Uh, most recent book that I read was The Jolt Effect, all about, you know, working through, you know, so sort of the Jolt Effect seller, uh, working through one of the common way, you know, reasons a lot of sellers lose and don't even realize why, which is customer mm-hmm. indecision. So highly recommend that book. Uh, those are all some, some good places to start. All right. Wonderful. I love that you mentioned Andy Paul. He's actually a former guest on Criteria for Success as a Let's Talk Sales podcast as well. So we'll make sure to link to um, our episode with him in the show notes. All right, Colin, I have so enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure our listeners have as well. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, best place to connect with me or learn more is to check out Sales Transformation on whatever your fav- favorite podcast app is. That's the best place to find what's new, exciting with me or to learn more about Libya. All right. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for joining me today, Colin. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 377. If you are enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, do that right now. You can subscribe for free on whatever your platform of choice. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, suggested guests that we should talk to, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. What are you doing to enable buying today?